Please join me as we read the prayer of illumination together. Guide us, O God, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Our reading this morning is from Acts 2, 42 through 47. This is what Holy Scripture says. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, <clears throat> praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being served. This is the word of God to his people. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you to worship. I want to start uh, by asking the kids here a question. I have a, a picture. If you could show this picture. What is this, uh, this holiday? What's this a photo of? I think I heard Thanksgiving, right? So Thanksgiving's coming up, right, kids? Uh, there was a recent, a uh, few years ago, U.S. News & World Report did an article talking about how important the uh, psychological benefits are of our Thanksgiving rituals. Uh, the article was just about how important rituals are in general, uh, and a lot of research has been done on how important rituals are for family. Now, routines are different than rituals. Routines are things you do on a regular basis. Rituals are things that you do on a regular basis with a specific purpose in mind. There's a reason behind it. And when we do rituals together, it builds a common identity. It builds comfort and security. It builds relationships. It unifies us as a group whether it's your family at home or a church family. Now, I want to show a clip from, uh, a short clip from the movie Blindside, starring Sandra Bullock. Uh, the movie's based on the true story of how the Tue family uh, eventually adopts a, a young African-American teenager named Michael. And uh, Michael goes on in real life to play football in the NFL. And this scene is towards the beginning of their relationship, and it takes place during the family's Thanksgiving meal. Let's take a look. So what do we have in this clip? We have a, a family that already has a routine in how they do Thanksgiving. Uh, grab some food, eat it in the living room while sitting around the TV watching football. Mother notices Michael uh, doing something different, and for her it's a wake-up call. She looks at the way they've been doing things and she says, no, I won't stand for that. There's something better for us. 
So they go, they sit together at the table, they pray for the meal, they engage together. And I want you to think with me for a moment. I think our family, our church family, we're kind of like the Tui family. We have operated in certain ways. We've had certain routines. The way that we've done things for the past 12 years as a family. And we're comfortable in that. And we think that's normal. And I want us to uh, consider what Jesus told us last week. If you were here with us, we looked at how Jesus was forming a new family with his followers. And I shared very honestly that I didn't know what to do with the priority Jesus placed on his family and where our own personal blood families uh, relate or prioritize in, in that new paradigm. And I didn't know what to do with it. And here we have in Acts chapter 2 a new model for what family life could look like. Uh, Acts chapter 22, Acts 2, it's kind of like this young man, Michael, who shows us a better way. He models something uh, better for us. And what I want to do is look at this passage in light of the up, in, and out dynamic that we've talked about a lot here at King's Church and think of it in terms of our church. The three aspects of family life the up aspect of life with God, the in aspect of life with the church members, our church family, the out aspects of life with those outside our church family. And so we're going to look at some of the rituals that we see that the early church practiced that shaped family life for them and really changed the world. So first, let's look at this up dynamic. We see it in verse 42, don't we? that they were a learning family. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This idea of them devoting themselves really means that they were continually devoting themselves. There was intentionality and focus when it came to all these rituals that they began to implement this first one is, is this idea that they were always learning, that they had a single-minded devotion to learning about God through the apostles' teaching. This was a priority for this family. They were hungry for God's word. Now, if you know the story leading up to this passage, Peter uh, preaches a sermon. This is after Jesus has been raised from the dead, has ascended to the Father. He's begun the church. He sent out his apostles. Peter preaches this sermon. And what was a small group of a, a little over 100 uh, Christians, after Peter preaches this sermon, 3,000 new converts are brought into the Christian faith. And the way one commentator put it, the Holy Spirit started a school in Jerusalem that day. Its teachers were the apostles, and there were 3,000 pupils in kindergarten. And that's an attitude. That's the mindset we should have as followers of Jesus. We are students of Jesus, and we want to know more about him. We sit at the apostles' feet, which is now for us the word of God, to receive instruction and we persevere in that desire. We never tire of wanting to learn more and more about God through his revealed word. Now, when you think about that context, the apostles were doing all the teaching. They didn't have a Bible. They didn't have a New Testament. They had an Old Testament. 
Certainly they taught from the Old Testament, but they spent their time teaching from the Old Testament and pointing at how Jesus was the fulfillment of all that the uh, prophets and Moses spoke of in the Old Testament. The apostles would have spoken and told stories of of being with Jesus and and the Sermon on the Mount and these other uh, teachings of Christ, pointing them to Jesus. And people couldn't get enough of it. And uh, I like how um, Eugene Peterson puts it in the message, Colossians 3. He, he describes it this way. Let the word of Christ, this is from the Apostle Paul, let the word of Christ, the message, have run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. And if you're going to give it plenty of room in your lives, you've got to make choices in how you're spending your time. You've got to make choices and prioritize. How important is it to you to learn and grow in your knowledge and understanding of the God's word. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, Like newborn infants long for this pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Now some of you might be so mature in your faith, you're eating steak. <laughs> you're not on spiritual milk. But you should have that hunger like a baby who longs and cries out for that spiritual milk. You should still have that fire. That's what we see in this passage. Now, we tend to think, I think, as Christians today of individual Bible study, quiet time. And that's a good and right thing. But this passage is pointing to communal instruction, communal study, learning together. And that's an important part of the ritual of being a family, is that we gather around the Word of God. It's a connecting point for us. So in our community groups, we uh, encourage you guys to be talking about the sermon and talking about the passage and, and going through the questions and gathering around the Word of God. When uh, Kaylee and some of the other men came to me thinking about a uh, new uh, men's uh, breakfast gathering on Saturday uh, coming up in a few weeks, we were talking about what should we do, what should be the focus. And you know, for Kaylee and I, as we talked, it, it became clear, you know, we need, to, we need to make this a time for men to gather around God's Word. We should be hungry for it. We should be learning together what God has revealed to us through His Word. That's how we learn about Him. And so that's an important ritual for our community. We need to be a learning community. But we also see in this passage that the early church, they were a, uh, not, not just a learning family, they were a worshiping family. In this verse, in, chapter, uh, in verse 42, uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, but also to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now that phrase, the breaking of bread and the prayers, really refers to worship. Uh, the way the Greek is, plays out here, the breaking of bread, is a reference to the Lord's Supper. So it's a reference to a worship experience that the early church practiced together in their homes. The prayers is, is most likely a reference to the temple and the prayer services that took place there. And we see later on in the passage that the, the early Christians still went to the temple. Now, we don't think they sacrificed there because Jesus was the final sacrifice. But in verse 46, we see day by day, they attended the temple together. They did it communally and breaking bread in their homes that they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. 
we see this ritual, this practice of the early church of worshiping as a family. Not just, again, not just praying alone. That's good. Please do that. But I think even more importantly, they were praying together. Now, I want to challenge those of you who are afraid to pray out loud with other people. I think you're missing out. I think what this ritual is showing us, that again, rituals bond us together. And when you refuse to pray with other people, you're missing out on an opportunity to be bonded together. Not only do you pray for others, you pray with others. And you have them pray for you. It's a communal building opportunity. Don't miss out on it. Don't allow your fears to keep you and block you from participating in something that's very important for us to build family life together. And that's to worship as a family. You know, one other point we should, we should notice, you know, there seems to be this joy that you notice in how they worship, this idea that they, you know, received their food with glad and generous hearts and they were praising God. You get this idea that they were a very joyful community. And I think we as Presbyterians, we do need to be confronted with that and challenged. Do we have joy in our worship? Uh, John Stott put, puts it this way. He was Anglican. Uh, and, and English, uh, he, he puts it this way, when I go to some churches, I think I've gone to a funeral by mistake. Everybody is dressed in black, nobody smiles, nobody laughs, nobody talks, the hymns are played at a snail's pace, and the whole atmosphere is lugubrious. <laughs> For you kids, that's a good SAT word there. <laughs> and if I could overcome my English or Anglo-Saxon reserve, I would want to shout out, cheer up. Christianity is a joyful religion. Let me speak to the adults here this morning. You know, I think it's wonderful we have the kids. We intentionally have the kids in the service with us to worship with us. The kids are watching us as adults. And if they see us in this depressed, kind of lazy, um, grim posture when we worship, it, they're, they're seeing that. We're modeling something for them. And so where's our joy now, not all of us are going to show joy the same way, but I think no matter what your personality, you can tell somebody's joyful. They'll come out in their unique way. And so we really need to see this worshiping community, this early church, this model, this ritual of praising and worshiping God with joy, asking for the Holy Spirit to grant us the joy that he is eager to give us as we worship. So, we're, so we see a learning family, we see a worshiping family. We also see that they were a fellowshipping family. Notice again in verse 42, what they devoted themselves to was the fellowship. The fellowship. Now here that word fellowship is a Greek word. Maybe you've heard it before, koinonia. This is the first occurrence in the New Testament of this word. It's rooted in this idea of commonness or commonality. That's one reason why the, uh, the Greek language spoken in this day, Koine Greek, was the common Greek, the everyday man, the street language of the people, Koine Greek. And so we see that every time this word is used in the New Testament, it speaks to the common bond that the church, early church family had. It speaks to the things they had in common. Oftentimes, uh, speaking to what they shared with one another, whether it was a contribution or a collection or an offering, 
or other times sharing in, in experiences, common experiences. And so I wonder, you know, as we think about our family, what do we have in common? What are the things that bond us together? Uh, I tend to be a, a, a big fan of Jerry Seinfeld, and he was talking about how hard it is for people in their 30s and 40s to make friends. This is one of his com- comedic uh, skits. Uh, he's saying, you know, in your 30s, it's very hard to make new friends because you, you've got people in your life that you kind of got a rhythm with that you know. You know, and he, he tells the story, you know, I meet a guy in the, in the gym, I tell him, I'm sure you're a very nice person, you seem to have a lot of potential, but... I'm just not hiring right now. You know, I'm not, I'm not interested in, in any new people in my life. But he com- cr- contrasts that with kids. He's like, kids are very different. Kids can be friends with anybody. Remember when you were a little kid, he says, what were the qualifications for becoming a friend? Is someone in front of my house right now? Great. You're a friend. That's it. Are, are you a grown-up? No. Not going to be friends with you. Uh, you come, come on in if you're a kid. Jump up and down on my bed. He says, do we have anything in common? You like cherry soda? I like cherry soda. Let's be best friends. You know, that, that's how kids are. And, you know, as I read that, it got me thinking, you know, we as Christians, we should e- be eager like kids. And maybe Jesus, that's a little bit of what Jesus is talking about when he says we need to be like a little children to enter the kingdom of God. You know, all these obstacles and barriers that we put up that keep us from bonding and seeing our common uh, bond in Christ. Maybe part of that is our, all the hang-ups we have as adults. And maybe if we were just to become like little kids, we would be drawn to each other more easily. And it wouldn't be so difficult for us to build these relationships and have these common bonds. We have a common bond in Christ. If you want to look at what our most common um, fellowship factor should be. It's our common need for Jesus. That's what the gospel tells us. Each and every one of us need Christ. All of us are broken. All of us us need Jesus to save us. And so none of us can look at each other in any way as superior or believe like, I don't need, you know, I don't need to be in relationship with you because I'm better than you. No, we both need Christ. We're both broken before him. And so that's the common bond that we have. It should draw us together. It should be the foundation of our fellowship together. That's what we see in the early church in the ways they, they saw their common, um, they had a common bond in, with their possessions. Notice in verse 44 and 45, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So they had a a common understanding of their shared possessions. Uh, I think they also had a common uh, understanding of their shared time together. They made time for each other. Notice in the passage how it talks about how they were with each other day by day. They were able to make time in their schedule. And I know that's one of the huge obstacles for us today is making time for each other. We need to see our common Uh, bond in that way, that my time is your time, your time is my time. Uh, Yesterday, the Love Your Neighbor team was at my house um, having a meeting, you know, and I was even thinking about that aspect of sharing our homes together. How often are you sharing your homes with one another? How often are you opening your home to other people? 
I have to admit, we haven't at the Mather family done that a lot over the past several years. We've been inundated with life and busyness and schedule. And that's something I think that we're being challenged with in the weeks and months ahead is opening our home more. And somebody from the Lent team was there and and they asked, can I open your refrigerator? They're being very courteous. And I was thinking to myself, mi casa y su casa, right? It's like, no, no, we should have this common bonds. You don't have to ask if you can go in my refrigerator. My stuff is your stuff. That's what we want to see developed here in our church family, being devoted to one another, opening our homes to one another, uh, being willing to sacrifice for one another. Kent Hughes is a pastor. He's preaching on this passage, and he put it this way. He said, fellowship, koinonia, comes through giving. True fellowship costs. So many people never know the joys of Christian fellowship because they have never learned to give themselves away. They visit a church or small group study with an eye only for their own needs, hardly aware of others, and go away saying there is no fellowship there. The truth is we will have fellowship only when we make it a practice, a ritual, to reach out to others and give something of ourselves. And that's, this is an important part of the rituals of our church family that we needed to develop, a ritual of giving of ourselves to one another. You know, something as simple, can I just uh, ask for you to maybe share the common burden that we have as a church of setting up and breaking down every Sunday, our facilities team. We have people come early and people stay late to help break down all this stuff and put it in the trailer and set it up in the morning. And we need more people. We need you to share the common burden of making church happen on Sunday morning. So maybe some of you can participate in family, the family ritual of being a part of that team, giving of yourself. That's enough of that pitch. Let's go on. So we see we're a, uh, they were a learning family. They were a worshiping family. They were a fellowshipping family. We'll end with this one. They were a welcoming family. Now I'm going to go through this quick as we... Uh, look to move towards the uh, Lord's Supper here. Um, We see in this passage that as this early church was being family, people were added to their number daily in verse 47. As they were praising God, they were having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I think this is an important aspect that we are a welcoming family, that we are a family who are expecting and in actively participating in rituals, reaching out, serving our community, serving those outside the walls of our church. The early church was known for this. You, you see in the writings of historians how early Christians were, were clearly distinctive in the ways that they loved those outside their church family. And that calling is still for us today. And I think that's part of what we see and why they had favor with all the people. The people saw this family. Not only did they see that they were a learning family, that they were a worshiping family, that they were a fellowshipping family, they were actually served by these early Christians. And it impacted them. And God brought new people into the church of God. And we have that same hope today as we are a welcoming family expecting new people to come in. We will begin to see the Holy Spirit work in our community to grow our community, to change our community. And that's our hope.
And so as we now transition in thinking about participating in this family meal, I want you to join me as we confess our faith together. We're going to be reading the Apostles' Creed. Now this is another ritual. This is a ritual that we do that unites and bonds us together as a community. When we confess our faith, we're pronouncing that we believe in these doctrinal truths together. So would you join me as we read the Apostles' Creed together? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.